break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back on The Punch-Out, 12th of November, 2021. Very happy to be back with you on the show. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the current political situation in Peru. Left turn there, going awry. We're going to talk about an immigration crisis happening in Poland and Lithuania, for that matter. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the continuing struggle in Sudan. Turmoil continues in Sudan as the military forces who launched a coup in late October have taken a turn to deepen their control over the country after various mediation efforts have, for now, faltered. General Burhan, the coup leader, has announced that the previously dismissed Transitional Sovereignty Council, or TSC, will be reestablished with civilian representatives of the military's choosing and without the deposed former Prime Minister Hamdok, who, as of the time we went to press, is still under house arrest. The coup government, it appears, as we said about a week ago, is determined to have more direct control over what civilians are involved in the government and not to abide by the original agreements that they set up with the Forces for Freedom and Change, who represented a wing of the 2019 protest movement that unseated the previous 30-year government. The military seems to be taking advantage of various differences among the forces that emerged in that 2019 movement to push forward with their current agenda. The announcement of the reconstitution of the TSC was allegedly a quote-unquote personal initiative of some forces within the Forces for Freedom and Change. And according to reports, they downgraded the issue of Hamdok's return and have sought to seek agreement on changes within the government itself to replace officials in various departments associated with the pre-2019 government. The Sudanese Communist Party among others, has pointed out that this appears to be a bit of a fig leaf and that remnants of the former government remain and are a testament to the fact that the coup is designed to roll back the goals of the 2019 uprising. As coup opponents have argued since late October, even the pre-coup government was more of a rearranging of the deck chairs of the elites than real change, and in that context, the recent moves to restore the TSC are an even further rollback of the promise of 2019. This is all happening amid a growing spike in inflation, With the price of basic goods skyrocketing, exacerbating the poverty faced by much of the country, which the coup regime and the previous government they deposed have done little to alleviate immediately and taken no steps to address structurally. And this has set up something of a showdown for tomorrow, where the mass movement opposing the coup is called for another march of millions in the capital of Khartoum. And in what seems to be a clear response to that, the military has rejected calls by the Sudanese judiciary that they lift restrictions on the Internet. Protesters already took to the streets Thursday night in response to the announcement of the new TSC, and supporters of deposed Prime Minister Hamdok also issued a statement rejecting the announcement. Four more universities in the country have been forced to close, bringing the total to about six, due to the coup and the surrounding situation where many university officials and employees have been targeted for rejecting the coup. 
In a worrying development, there are reports of hundreds of burned homes in Darfur, as the conflict there seems to be increasing as the coup unravels a range of temporary agreements, spoken and unspoken, that had calmed many of the multiple armed conflicts in various parts of Sudan. Further, the situation in the east of the country, one of the most economically deprived, remains tense as two sets of protest groups blockade railways, highways, and ports in disagreement with the coup government and each other. Ultimately, we'll just have to see what the weekend holds. But as of now, it appears the coup regime is determined not just to hold on to power, but to dictate all the terms in terms of how the country moves forward. Thousands of immigrants, mainly from the Middle East, remain trapped between the borders of Belarus, Poland, and Lithuania, caught in the midst of a geopolitical struggle between Belarus and the European Union. The EU, shamelessly, has reversed its rhetorical course on its previous condemnation of member state Poland's hardline stance against all immigrants who aren't white and Christian, and backed Poland and Lithuanian attempts to block immigration across the Belarusian border, which now in both countries include, yep, you guessed it, building a wall. Now, Poland, Lithuania, and the EU are accusing Belarus of taking migrants from Iraq and Syria, well, taking migrants from Iraq and Syria from Turkey, enticing them into Belarus, and then encouraging them to cross the border into Poland and Lithuania in order to, well, well, I don't know what. The insinuation from Poland especially is that they're doing it to quote-unquote cause trouble, but it's pretty unclear what quote-unquote trouble these migrants would even cause. Unless, of course, you take at face value the anti-immigrant sentiment in Europe, where there's a heavy emphasis on immigrants from the Middle East and Africa being the cause of crime and other forms of social deterioration. So even to the extent that it's true that Belarus is exploiting contradictions in Europe in retaliation for sanctions placed on them this year over allegations of suppressing a post-election protest movement, the issues they are exploiting are the intense racism that has swept Europe as migrant flows from U.S. NATO interventions abroad increased, along with the deterioration of the standard of living in the neocolonial regimes that the U.S. and NATO countries support and whose populations are increasingly forced to flee to seek decent standards of living in Europe or the U.S. So sounds more like a problem of European racism than Belarusian or in this case, or in the case they try to say it is, Russian designs. And this is really further evident when one looks at the announcement from today that the European Commission has reached an agreement with Turkey that will see Turkish airlines cease to allow migrants to fly to Belarus, which is just an extension of the existing EU policy of paying off Turkey with billions of euros to stop migrants from coming into Greece or other EU countries. The crisis is, over and above anything else, exposing the total farce in the EU that there is much difference between Poland, Hungary and Western European nations when it comes to immigration. Western European officials often make big statements about intolerance in countries like Poland while presiding over a border agency Frontex that has been widely cited for human rights abuses, including policies that have turned the Mediterranean Sea into a death trap for those seeking to cross from North Africa, as well as being involved in violent pushback policies in Greece. Now, however, because taking Poland's side is seen as part of the struggle against quote-unquote Russian influence— since Belarus is presented as an agent of Putin's influence in Western Europe and the U.S., the EU is happy to have Polish border guards beating migrants to keep them out, especially if they can use it to portray Belarusian President Alexander Lushenko as a callous strongman using immigrants as pawns. Human rights groups are warning of a dire crisis and at least one child has died as migrants huddle without adequate food, water, or shelter in cold, rough conditions. One would think that all the high-minded phrases from EU officials would come into play here. 
but none of them really want to take the immigrants themselves. From France to Germany to Denmark to Spain and Italy, right-wing parties have risen to power or close to it by exploiting anger, racist anger, at immigrants from the Middle East and Africa. And for EU officials to try to resolve the crisis by moving the migrants to a country that isn't Poland or Lithuania would require them to take on the forces of racism in their own country, which not only do they not want to do, but of course it would take away an opportunity for them to cynically attack Russia through a back door. So while U.S. media is going out of its way to present the crisis in a light that makes Belarus look bad, it's worth remembering that it isn't even a real crisis. It's only a crisis because of the racist, anti-immigrant sentiment and policies in Europe. Since July, many around the world have celebrated the ascension of Pedro Castillo to the presidency of Peru. Castillo, a self-avowed left-winger in sympathy with the broader movements in Latin America, fighting for a people-centered rather than a profit-centered future for the continent. But since his inauguration, he's taken a different turn. Castillo's government has been under intense attack from the right-wing majority in Congress and the right-wing parties in general. So far, 10 cabinet members have been forced to resign under spurious circumstances. The targeted ministers are mainly confirmed left-wingers themselves, some of them associated with Castillo's Peru Libre Party. His first prime minister was replaced after making statements in favor of nationalizing the natural gas sector. The first foreign minister was forced to resign after expressing solidarity with other left-leaning regimes and making anti-imperialist statements. The interior minister was forced to resign after allegations that he held a party in contravention of the government's COVID-19 restrictions. He maintains it was a work meeting in which another cabinet member was involved. But either way, the right wing of Peru, which presided over the disastrous COVID response in the past year or so in Peru, there's actually the most deaths per capita in Latin America in Peru, is clearly not interested in the COVID protocols just around causing turmoil in the government. The right wing also raised a huge hue and cry over Castillo's promise to convene a constituent assembly process to rewrite the Constitution. Something they see as a mortal threat since similar processes across the region have reduced anti-democratic practices and decreased the ability of the right to manipulate the politics of various nations. Notably, Castillo's new prime minister, Mirtha Vasquez, despite having a left-wing reputation and affiliation with the left-leaning Broad Front Party, went out of her way to state the government would not pursue a constituent assembly. On top of all that, Vladimir Soron, leader of the Peru Libre Party, that's the ostensible party Castillo belongs to, has been targeted by a range of raids and investigations that have also targeted other party leaders. Castillo has distanced himself from the party, and Soron himself has announced that there's a de facto split, which raises questions not only about Castillo's adherence to the program he was elected on, but his ability to pass any proposals through parliament. In an ominous sign, State Department official Wendy Sherman tweeted out that she had a quote-unquote good conversation with Castillo recently, which could mean many things, including not that much, but it clearly raises the specter that Castillo is looking to cozy up to the U.S. to try to quiet his right-wing opponents in Peru. Either way, it seems clear Peru's long constitutional crisis, where for the past year, really a bit more, the government has essentially been unable to function due to political turmoil. It also seems like the idea that Peru would be the next country to embark on a clear people-centered path of development is, at the very least, on hold. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. 
And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. <laughs>